0: Taking a break from Genesis for a little bit. And I want us to spend some time in Scripture to see what Scripture says about the church. We're going to be looking at several aspects of church life. And I think it's time for us to. I think that it's time for us to look into here and see what God has to say to us. Um, as, and as we grow, And as we learn what it means to be involved in our community, as we learn what it means to be a church, it's great for us to be on the same page as to our understanding what Scripture has to say to us about lots of different issues. So today is more of like an introduction to that. Um, And it's perfect that last week was Resurrection Sunday, the the celebration of the resurrection of Christ. Because in the weeks after he he was resurrected, history was altered. I mean, it's not enough that a man who was dead came back to life and stayed alive. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that Scripture records that many people in that time frame were dead and came back to life. Matter of fact, Scripture records at least nine instances where that happened in, in the Bible. You know, with Elijah, Elisha, that happened. You know, each of them once, twice maybe with Elisha. But we also know that um, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Jairus' daughter, uh, the widow's son, and several. And so there was about nine of them. And then not only that, but Matthew 27 says that that many people came back to life after Christ's death and that ensuing earthquake in that moment. But this is the thing. All of them died again jesus didn't that is earth that is just earth shattering that is historical only jesus stayed alive and so he is alive today and he's waiting on us and interceding with us on behalf to the father In the days and the weeks after the resurrection, the disciples were empowered by the Holy Spirit and began to testify the death and the resurrection of Jesus throughout Jerusalem, but especially in and around the temple. And the result of their testimony were that thousands believed in Jesus. Open up your Bibles to Acts. Thank you very much. To Acts 2. And there, just to kind of walk through the passage a little bit, What's just happened in Acts 1 is that Jesus has ascended. He's left his last instructions to the disciples. Acts 1 there. And he said to them, Acts 1 7, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the, the, the remotest part of the earth. And so there they are, chapter 1 of Acts. They stay. So what does that mean? I mean, I can't imagine, you know, the, the wondering that was going on in their heads. And I love chapter 10, verse 10, 11. And they were gazing into the sky. And behold, can you imagine? They're like going, what oh, just happened? What does that mean? Anyone have an idea? And then these two angels appear. Men of Galilee why do you stand looking into the sky this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven wow so they wait they're not even sure what for they're gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost in acts chapter 2 verse 2 says suddenly there came from heaven a noise like the violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and they appeared to them like tongues of fire distributed upon themselves, and they, they wrestled on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit had given them. And now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they each one hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why Are these, why are not these just, why are these not speaking Galileans? Who are these who are speaking, I'm sorry, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then the scripture goes through and it calls all of the, the nations, the peoples, the languages that were there. But Peter, verse 14, here we are, Peter, here we are taking his stand with the leaven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And herein is the first great Billy Graham message. He preached. He explained to them through their own history what had been taught to them through the ages and then who the Messiah was, and why it happened. And not only that, but then he, he told them exactly what they had to do about it. In verse 40, he says, be saved from this perverse generation. So then, verse 41, it says, so then those who were, received his word were baptized, and there are added that day about three And day by day, continuing with one another in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness, with sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their numbers by day those who were being saved. Continually devoting themselves to teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Many would say that you would point to this and say, well, this is the beginning Of the church, and yet I would say that as is the case with Old Testament to New Testament, that there were um, a shadow of this in the Old Testament and the assembly of the people of Israel together, and not only that, but David was told that you know that one day that they would build a house, and so there were these images in the Old Testament that were pointing forward. And not only that, but even at this time, there were the synagogues where faithful Jews would meet. And yet, nothing prepared them for what this church was going to be. So we see five elements here in this passage, 41 through 47, that we can pull out and say, these seem to have been the very basic elements of church life at that time. We see them devoting themselves to the teaching, to fellowship, which that word literally means being together, companionship, communion, being together, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. And then there's one that's in here that's not necessarily a word, but you see it in their activities, and that's where you see it says here that... that. Um, They believed were together and had all things in common that they began selling their property and possessions and sharing them as many that might have need. So a fifth thing I would suggest is that not only are those other four that were specific, but then this fifth one is this thing of taking care of each other, of caring for each other and their needs. And even with all of that, local church today looks very, very different. That we read here is more organic, more communal, more home-based, and smaller. It says that they, they were doing this in their homes. But we still have these similarities. We still are faithful to teaching, to being together, to prayer, to assisting each other. But there are all kinds of things that the church has morphed into in ways that it's drifted from this example and Acts and what Paul was, would later teach in the New Testament. Uh, the main area that drift seems to take place is in the centrality of Jesus. It's one thing to have a cross on your wall because but even Madonna wears a cross. That didn't make her a, a pastor. So a cross means nothing to a church. A name means nothing to a church. It's who they exalt in that church and the way that they do it day in and day out that demonstrates the centrality of Jesus in a local church. Preaching and teaching on His authority and His lordship over our lives individually, and along with that is the authority of Scripture over our churches and our lives. So many churches, so many churches have wandered from the authority of the Bible And now teach things that are absolutely foreign to Scripture. They're foreign to holiness and to godliness. And their their mission is all over the map. Their mission has nothing to do with Acts 1 or Matthew 28. Of being my witnesses in Jerusalem. And Others are just so watered down that when they speak the words of the Bible, they lack the power therein. It is interesting to note that all of the churches that were the church, they consider them the mainline churches. And to say that, you know, so Presbyterian, some Presbyterian, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, many of those that were the church, they were the church in their day and their time, um, no longer look like a church much anymore. That's not to say they all that way. I'm not going to make a blanket statement. But you'll see that in those mainline churches that no longer hold to the centrality of Jesus, to the centrality of word, to the authority of his word, many of those churches are in decline. Many of those denominations are in decline. Our commitment here at Crossing is to be true to the word of God, true to the message that God loves us but hates our sin and therefore offered us a solution to that sin and the gift of salvation that is found in His only Son, in His death and His resurrection, that serves as our only hope and our only means of redemption. Your elder council intends to preach Jesus and Him crucified as our message and our centrality to our church here at Crossing. To give him the glory he deserves and wants and to make much of him every time we can. For he alone is worthy. And this is what we live our lives by. To the very best of our ability as we grow into that day in and day out. And so as a church, we are going to remain faithful to the teaching of his word. Faithful to the authority of his word. And faithful to the, the lordship of Christ over this church and over our lives individually. And over the course of the next several weeks, we are going to, like, figure out a little bit together what that looks like and what that means. God's design for the church, God's purpose and intent, and how we fit all together, why we're included. How is it that he would include some of us because we know our past, and yet the church was built on that type of past, was it not? And yet there are so many ideas about church that I've been hearing lately that are disturbing. They're disturbing that that's what we would believe as a church. That I can't bring my problem here. You've got enough of your own here at church. That is just the antithesis to what church is about. We can't meet all the needs, but we can definitely walk with people in their situations. For people to to not be certain whether they fit in or not is also really disturbing. Because the church is built on bad examples on people who are broken and sinful and had done terrible things. And yet they are the very people the church was built on. The bloodline of Christ came through murderers and whores and all kinds of things. And all those people are the people who the church is supposed to be like. And so any of us would ever wonder if we belong, if we'd be comfortable there, If any one of you would ever say, I'm not sure if you'd fit in at my church, I am so sorry that you would ever think that. Because we need to be a place where anyone could come and feel comfortable here. Not because of what you look like, Not because of what you've done, but because Jesus loves you and we should as well. One of the things that I've always been greatly concerned about, because it is the scourge of the church, is the way that we resolve conflict. I come from the South and alive, in, on every corner there's, a, there's a, a McDonald's and a church. Starbucks and a church. You know? And those churches are not there because they don't have enough of them. They're there because people can't get along. And they go to, and start their own thing where they'll fit in. Where people agree with them. When people have had trouble with crossing, at least in my tenure. I've often challenged them and said, are you really committed to the Lordship of Christ and to His testimony? Because if you are, then staying here with us and working this out is the very best thing for His testimony. And I would go so far in some situations to say that most of us, when we get into conflict, there are some exceptions, but most of us, when we get into conflict, are in this place where it's just so uncomfortable and it's so difficult to think about all the bearing of our souls and the honesty about our own pettiness to be able to resolve conflict. Not, not in all cases, but in the ones in most of them that we're just not willing to do that hard work. Now again, that's not a blanket statement, but it applies to so many situations of people. In conflict, You see, there's a lot of people in the world who are feeding the hungry. There's a lot of people in the world who are taking care of the homeless, who are providing clean water where it's needed, who are doing all kinds of crazy good stuff. Shoes to those who have no shoes and the impact that has on health clean water, sanitation. All that stuff is being done by a lot of people, and the church is involved in all that. But a lot of those people out there doing a lot of that really good work, they still can't resolve conflict. But we can. And I really believe that the way that we resolve conflict speaks more to the testimony of Christ and the love that should unite us and the manner in which we treat each other that that speaks more to that we are different from the world. We can clean out clean water. We can house the homeless. We can feed the hungry. But if we can resolve conflict in a way that honors each other and the Lord, then we are truly different than the world. Truly different than the world. But most of the time, and I've seen it happen more times than I'd like to say, folks just move on to the next church. And the problem is that the issues that they had a problem with here would be a problem there. There years and years and years and years ago, there was a church that was really um, the offspring of a church split. And so it began, it grew really fast as people left the other church to come and to a place where they could agree with each other. And then they grew some more as other people came to them and all. But you know what? All those people who came from the other church that were embroiled in conflict, eventually they left the church they started to because they didn't learn how to resolve conflict in a way that honors God in each other. So they got to their new place, and they did the same thing they'd done at their old place. Then they went to another place, and they probably did the same thing there again. And therein is why you have churches. There's even one in our area where the church on this side of the road has almost the identical name to the church on that side of the road because they couldn't get along. I would love to say that crossing has never been a part of that, but we have at least one time. And I don't ever want to see it happen again. It's too painful and it does too much disservice to the name of Christ. So one other thing here. Christ died for the church. You know, he tells us, husbands, to love your wife the way that Christ loves the church. Christ loved the church, and and, and he made it possible by dying for it. And so husbands, you know, have this incredible mandate to love our wives the way that Christ loved the church. Now, when we think about that, and in some regards I'm preaching to the choir But when we think about that, there are so many who write blogs and stories and do hip-hop stuff. I don't even know what you call that. You know, about how they hate the church, but they love Jesus. Well, you want to know something? That's like me saying to Michael, Michael, I really like you and like to hang out with you, but I can't stand your wife. How does that work out? But that is exactly what people are saying when they say, you know, I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. The church is his bride. He died for the church to create it and placed us into it. I like you, Laura, by the way. I just want to clear that up. (laughs) And many would say, well, I can be a better Christian apart from the church. No, I don't believe you can because I believe that we were knit together, we were put together. God in the Trinity is in relationship with himself, and then he adds us to this mix, and he is in relationship with us. His spirit indwells in us, and it indwells us in such a way that, that these people right here are my brothers and sisters. And, and so... To say that I can't live with my family, believe me, we all know about that. We all know how difficult that can be. But that is the difference that Christ should be making in our lives at some level or another. And so there are many ways to say, I can do better without the church. No, you can't be do better without the church if you're not in relationship with other Christians. What you're saying is, I still want it my way and having all those other people involved gets in my way so therefore i will do church on sunday morning in my easy chair in my boxers with charles stanley well i'll give it charles stanley's a good teacher but you're not in relationship with charles stanley and he's not going to hold your baby while you're sick or bring food to you while you're sick or pray with you when someone's died Only people in your church are going to do that. So being involved in a local church and not being involved where you say you come on a Sunday morning, but being involved in such a way that I can walk through the room and tell every person's name in the room or that you can walk through the room and just say that I know 10 or 15 people in this church know my name. They know me. And they know when I'm missing. And they know when I'm hurting. And they know when I'm hurting. That's what it means to be involved in a church where people know you and walk with you. But coming on a Sunday morning just means you spent your Sunday morning with me. Thank you very much. But here on a Sunday morning, I'm not sitting here with Mary hearing about her life. She's hearing about mine, and that's a good thing probably. You're benefiting from this, right? Yeah, fine, every Sunday morning. But when we come together in onesies and twosies or ones and twos or in a small group of six or seven or in our ministry team on Tuesday night at worship time or whatever it may be, when we come together like that and we say, this is what God is taking me through and this is how I'm struggling with it or I'm just flat out angry at God and I don't want to deal with it. That's where we come alongside of each other and we sit with each other and say, I'm praying for you about that. Don't try and fix each other. Let the Holy Spirit do that. They'll do a much better job. But we come and we just say, I want to pray with you about that. That That's what it means to be involved in your local church. It means to be in relationships where people know you and you know people. There are many who would say that they're hurt by the church and they're disillusioned by the church. I understand that. I've hurt many myself here in this church, here in even this place. Sometimes I know about it. Other times I don't. People just leave and you just know they're gone. But that's going to happen because we are people and we have those instances, perhaps even seasons, of selfishness and anger that we lash out with other people. But Those of us who are hurt, we've hurt others as well. Those of us who are disillusioned, we've disillusioned others as well. And again, I say, stay. Work it out. Let God have the glory because you stayed where you were hurt. And you came to someone, you said, that hurt me. And you let that get worked out. That's how God gets glorified in the local body. That's how God gets glorified in our relationships. Because we do that painful stuff we don't want to do. People, the church is full of hypocrites. I know. I am one of them. I'm preaching to you this morning full of hypocrisy. Matter of fact, I'm preaching to a room full of hypocrites. It's nice to be together again today. I always love Twelve Steps. Hi, my name's Tim, and I'm a sinner. How about you? You know, yeah. That's the way I just I just think that's how we ought to start church every Sunday morning. Some of us would have a hard time saying that because we don't think we should be that way in our local churches. But this is exactly how God has organized His people here on Earth: broken, selfish, growing, thriving, godly ungodly unsaved saved there is the entire gamut of people in this room today some who don't want to be here but they're here because someone told them they should be some who are here and they're still trying to figure out why they're here some who are here and they're growing little by little and they wonder about half of what i say and half of what they hear because it's all new to them to some who have been here their entire life let me this is uh, one more oh this is one thing i thought this was a minute ago this is bonus again all right This is what happens when we come to church and we can speak to how God is working in our life. I have an instance recently where someone was confronted with a sin in their life. And on that same day, had someone with that sin come into their life. And this person texts me and says, I now know why God is confronting confronting me about this, because... Now I have this person in my life dealing with the same sin. You see, God brings you into relationship with other people who need to learn what God is teaching you so that you can teach others. 2 Corinthians 3 talks about that the way that God has comforted you is exactly the way that you should comfort others. And so my wife and I have a ministry to other people with children with autism because that's how God has ministered to us. This couple right here are going to develop a dynamic ministry to other families with Down's children. You know, the Ashtons, they have a ministry to other people with more children than they know what to do with. You know, so we, you know, whatever God has done in our lives is exactly what God is going to take that and going to use it in the lives of other people. And so when you come and say, I don't want to talk about what's going on in my life, you are ridding yourself of the blessing and you're ridding of other people of the blessing. When you come and you are able to talk about what God is doing and even what he's not doing sometimes, you're able to put yourself in a position where God places someone alongside of you who can walk with you in that and encourage you. There's a lot more that I have on my mind in regards to talking to us as a church. And I assure you that we are full of our flaws and our failures, but we are growing spiritually through really hard things. When I first took the pastor, I thought, if people are going through really hard stuff, that's a really bad thing. I hate it that that's happened to them. It has taken me years to understand that all of you who are going through really hard stuff, that's exactly what God wants for you. And that's exactly what God is going to use to make you holy and to make our church holy. And so anymore, on good days, I celebrate in little small ways the hard things that are happening in our church body and in your family's lives. Because as you grow through those, you make our church stronger as well. Over the course of the next several weeks, I want to talk about all this, a whole lot more. It's messy, it's hurtful, but it's glorious. That is just the way God has made it. It is glorious. As we exalt Him here, and as we seek Him in all of our mess. Let's pray.